This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Welcome to another season of the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. My hope is to create a space that inspires you to explore your own fierce and lovely. Where do you find yourself at the intersection of those two words? Do they come naturally? Is one stronger than the other? Earlier this month, I led 11 pairs of mothers and daughters in an urban immersion experience. I curated two days in Denver to platform moms to engage their girls around fierce and lovely. We talked about what it looked like to be a woman who leads fiercely without lovely and vice versa. It was as powerful for me to learn from these 12 to 14 year old girls as I imagine and hope that it was for them. If you'd like to engage more around these topics as well, come join one of our two Facebook groups, A Voice Becoming, if you are currently raising a young teen girl, or Fierce and Lovely Podcast, if you would just like to pop in and talk more about these episodes. And make sure you follow Fierce and Lovely on Instagram. My guest today had more to teach me on the topic of Fierce and Lovely Paralleling her story to Jesus, she said, I was fierce on Friday when he died for us, and I'm lovely as I pray and hope for resurrection. Needless to say, she pastored me. She is Natalia Cohn Rivera, Special Projects Coordinator for InterVarsity Lafay Ministry in Southern California. She was born in Argentina and is a biracial Latina and recently co-authored the book Hermanas, Deepening Our Identity and Growing Our Influence, alongside of Noemi Vega Quinones and Christy Garza Robinson. I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with the fierce and lovely Natalia Rivera. Welcome to the podcast, Natalia. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Natalia, I've already introduced you to my guests, and so I would love to jump right in and ask you a little bit more about the book that came out in January, Hermanas, and I'd love to hear a little bit about why you and your co-authors decided to, to write it, why now, and what some of your hopes were for the book. Yeah, it was um, a Four year, it's been a four year dream that came out in January. Um, probably four years from beginning of its conception to like uh, its birth. And um, it came from uh, a cohort that two of us were in on um, discipleship, on um, leadership in, in our national movement. And um, InterVarsity Press 
um, talk to us about um, a resource for Latinos. Just there isn't a lot written um, for Latino, uh, the, the Latino community. There isn't a lot. Um, and there aren't a lot of discipleship resources. It's more in the theological bend. And so um, they were really looking for for things that we were doing on, on our college campuses that could that could help mentor more people. And so we were all talking and um, we wanted to do a resource that would empower and encourage Latina women and specifically. And so um, that's kind of where it was. It was in Chicago where the idea was was all put together and um, it took a, a couple years to get it going. Well, I know as I've read it, it certainly f- speaks to all women, um, but it's been so refreshing to read about, to read through the lens of Latina women, re- reflecting on women in the Bible through your experience and through the experiences of so many of the young women that you all have each discipled. And so I just find it to be really fresh, a new voice, new perspective. So. That's Thank great. you. I hope that's what you were aiming for. Yes, we were. We absolutely were. <laughs> so it's, you guys focus on, and I say you all, I've described this in the intro that um, you and two other co-authors, and so you each took some of the, some different women, you had 12 women from scripture that you studied and reflected on. And I would love to hear a little bit more about as you personally studied the women that you did in scripture, how, how did you change? How did your view of yourself as a woman change as you studied those women in scripture? Well, actually the idea was birthed through my friendship with Hannah in the Bible. Um, so she's been like a mentor to me since I was 25 and 38. Um, and her mentorship was really the Holy Spirit used it a lot through my singleness. Um, and so the idea came of, you know, we, we complain that there aren't a lot, uh, there aren't enough Latina mentors, or I think every probably ethnic community is like, I need more mentors, more people to look up to. And, um, she's been my mentor. Uh, God has used her so much. Um, to help me have faith in the midst of singleness, how to wait, um, how to keep coming to him. And I think that's why she, so she was the the first woman. Um, and then, you know, Noemi and I started brainstorming. Christy came on um, a little bit later, but uh, we had, Noemi and I had chosen the 12. It took us a weekend. There's 43 incredible women. You know, we weren't going to do Jezebel or other women that are not <laughs> <laughs> um, not worthy to be put in a book on leadership. Um, and so there were 43 amazing women. And so it was very hard to discern which ones. And it, was, it came down to um, who has kind of influenced us. We looked up to, um, so like Deborah for Noemi was huge, uh, a huge um, mentor. So it's just, it, it kind of went into that. And then the Seraphonician woman or the Canaanite woman was another mentor for the last 12 years with me. So it's kind of like, who have we sat at their feet learning about how they connected with, with Jesus or God, you know, um, how did they, how did they interact? What did we learn from them? Um, and, and it's not just women, but we wanted to highlight women because unfortunately a lot of women don't know Christian women, 
even especially the older generations, as I've taught these women a lot in other churches, don't know these women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most men, most pastors are men and, and they don't, it's, it's rare that they go to a, a female protagonist or a female, you know, heroine or mentor in the scriptures. So it's unfortunate. So it's about equipping the body with, um, these phenomenal leaders in scripture. Oh, it's so important. And I agree. Just personally, I have been discovering women. You mentioned 43 and some of those women I've just newly come across. Um, It's really required me to have kind of trained eyes intentionally looking and reading the same verses I've read forever differently. And all of a sudden, you know, their names are just jumping out of the pages in these new ways. I don't, I don't know why that is, but, um, uh, gosh, I completely resonate with what you're saying. So tell me about one of the women and how she taught you to be a better leader. Like, what does that look like to have a woman from ancient Middle Eastern times become a mentor for you in leadership? Um, do you want me to talk about one of the four? Sure. Okay. Because they're, they're actually I've been under um, learning from Mary Magdalene the last year and a half. Um, she's really been um, crucial to my leadership and voice, but um, that's more in the current. Uh, that's I- okay. No, no, no. Tell us about Mary Magdalene then. Yeah. I, I would love to just help my listeners kind of think through this is what it looks like to translate you know, this ancient woman to my present reality. So yeah, tell us about Mary. Yeah. Um- I've been teaching uh, about uh, women's Bible study in my hometown here in California, and there's about 120 women, and we gather together, and I have the privilege of, they they want me to teach on the women in the Bible. So I've been getting to teach about 20 of them, and it's been awesome. So Mary Magdalene kind of blew me out of the water, Um, her intimacy with Jesus, her relationship with Jesus. She, you know, had seven demons. We don't have a lot of her context, what that looks like, but um, just looking at other stories where Jesus had to help someone be free of a demonic spirit or oppressive spirit is really messy and very difficult and isolating and lonely. And we don't know what kind of control she had, but seven of those uh, demonic spirits lived in her. When she encounters Jesus, he frees her and she leaves everything and becomes one of his followers. So she's one of the inner po- inner community of women that support this ministry Jesus has. And they travel with the men. Sometimes you'll see them. Um, but she's also named by Jesus in Luke 8 as one of his financial supporters. So Jesus uh, also, in a sense, fundraised for his ministry. He lived off of the support of those around him. And Mary was one of them. So I don't know if she came for money, but she gave a lot to the ministry. He only names women as his supporters. Um, so we don't know about the men, but I'm that sure. that is fascinating. Yeah. That fact, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that, and as a, as a as a fundraiser myself of fifteen years in a parachurch organization, um, that was awesome. That Jesus put himself in in the structure of fundraising, and then it was the women he named as his support team. I'm sure there mm. were men there too. Um, then we skip and you don't get a lot. Like if you do a survey of her life. So I love to do surveys of people in the scriptures. Um, 
they're they're fascinating to watch. John the Apostle is an amazing person, disciple to apostle, amazing person to like look at his trajectory and his his journey with Jesus. And so I think that that's where a lot of maturity can come from is learning from their maturity, learning from their mistakes, learning from what what they did so so well that they're in the scriptures. And so she um, is one of the few at the cross with Jesus. Um, she's one of the few. And um, I, I asked the Lord, you know, um, how did she endure all of that, right? How did you prep her to stay at the cross, right? Because most, including his disciples, except for John, all fled the cross. They, they hid from the cross. They hid from from it all. And she was able to, to withstand his pain and the mess and, um, the heartache, right? Like it's her best friend. It's her, it's her, it's like a spiritual dad. It's her pastor. It's her shepherd. It's her teacher. And so how does she stay there um, at the cross? So just kind of asking the Lord, what, what, how did you prep this woman to do this? Including his mom, his mom's at the cross. Um, and a few other women, and then um, you fast forward to the resurrection. Um, she's the first one to get Jesus's resurrected self. Um, what's fascinating is that Peter and, and John are there before her. She goes and tells them the body is missing. They go and they go into the tomb. She's watching and Jesus does not appear to the three of them. He waits till the two two men leave and appears to her. And so I was like, what, what what's that about? Um, <laughs> and so like, I was just um, kind of, you know, sitting at her, at their feet and wondering what, what's, what, why did she get the resurrected Jesus first? Why does she get the privilege of going and telling the others that she saw him? Um, and I just felt like the Lord told me, the Holy Spirit told me, you know, she never left my side. Like she clung to me to the point where Jesus had to tell her, you have to let me go and tell the people I'm here, um, I'm resurrected. And so like she really clung to him. She never left his side in the suffering, um, in the miraculous. I mean, she saw a lot of his ministry um, and the good, the bad and the ugly, right? She saw the death and then she got to see the resurrection. And so like, I've been asking Jesus in my own life, can I see, can I see resurrection power? Can I see a resurrected, your, your power coming in where things are dead? And um, I want to be like Mary. I want to cling to you. I want to be at your side and never let you go to be able to see resurrection power. So that's a little bit of what I'm in right now. Thank you for sharing that. That I love the way that you studied, like you said, you surveyed her life from the first time we meet her to the last. And what do we learn in in the what must have been in the middle um, based on what we see and how do we then transfer that to us? I would love to sit in on that 120 person Bible study in California. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it sounds wonderful. Well, Natalia, you write in the book, you write a lot about kind of the reality of the Latina community um, as you parallel some of their lives with the lives of these women that you are studying. You talk about how it's, 
you know, the Latino community is 18% now of the United States, 57 million people, and yet still incredibly marginalized, um, disempowered, disenfranchised, discriminated against. Um, I, I guess I'm curious how in the midst of that, and now as a leader in that community, how you have had to find your fierce and lovely in that, um, how you have kind of found the balance, um, the both and of being both fierce and lovely as you battle that reality of your community? That's an excellent question. I think it's um, something I've been processing a lot, especially with what's going on in the news and how it seems our community has a bullseye on a, on on our backs um, right now and uh, the current administration and things. Um, it's, um, I mean, it's affecting my family. It's, we're right in the center of, of what's happening um, and we're watching the news. You know, some of our family members aren't traveling. Um, it's just, it's just very real. Um, the type of persecution the Latino people are experiencing right now. Um, and so my I think the way that I have to um, believe the way my faith is and the, and the gospel is what, where's the good news, right? Like um, where does Jesus and the Bible have to bring hope in this situation? Um, and do we just wait, do we just wait for a, a political savior to come and rescue and change laws and help redeem what has been going on? Um, or do, or how do we hope and press into Jesus? And so it just makes me think of like, are we living at the curse in Genesis three or are we living at the cross? And if so, if we're at the cross, then we have to believe Sunday's coming. We have to believe resurrections around the corner. And so like, I can be a social a activist. I was a political science major. Um, I can do all that. I can, I can pick it. I can march. I can, um, but but what makes me different as a Christian leader, as someone who has the Holy Spirit inside of me, um, as someone who is tied and um, in love with Jesus, how do I, what can I bring that a social activist doesn't have? And that is what I, you know, with Mary Magdalene, that is the resurrection power. That is um, salvation and redemption. And so, you know, it's just a, a huge prayer and praying every day, Lord, redeem what we're seeing. Like for every blood spilled, redeem what what happened. Um, bring bring good news into this. And so um, it's weird, uh, you know. A um, couple years ago, with this book coming out, you know, our our editor was saying like we just really believe it's set up for the Latino people, a Latino people at the right time. And so we didn't know it would get to this point. I never imagined it would get to this level. And so I just feel like it's part of God um, encouraging women and their families, um, uh, reminding them that he's here, reminding them what kind of leader they can rise up to be with him, um, that are like the Debras, that are um, the Shulamite women, that are the Seraphonician, uh, that are the Esters in our families and our communities. And so it's a lot like Esther in a sense, you know, like... Um, it was a bit more extreme on Esther's side, but 
um, what do we learn from these women that have gone through similar things and how do we apply it to our lives and our faith, right? Because as a Christian leader, it has to be about faith. It can't be about activism, just activism. Where's faith involved? Because um, he, he partners with faith. He's looking for faith. And so what, what might be a, if you don't mind sharing, a practical conversation around that with someone where you're having to say it's not activism alone mm-hmm. and here's how we bring faith into this particular, this specific situation? Well, I mean, we can look at a lot of political activism um, and, and sometimes it really helps. Um, the people have gone before us, um, but uh, faith actually moves the mountains, right? Like skills, uh, personality types, um, our own our own strength, they don't move mountains. And so like activism, um, crying out that fierce part that you're talking about, like I resonate with that right now in this current um, culture I'm in and uh, especially in California, right, where it's really hit. Um, I'm fierce, right? Friday was a fierce day um, for Jesus as he got on that cross. Like I'm fierce knowing that um, he paid for this and knowing that it's a battle not against flesh and blood, right? Like I believe that scripture. It's it's spiritual entities that are happening. It's a war around us. Um, and then my lovely feels like I'm praying for the lovely redemption that his blood brings, that his friendship brings. Um, It's the hope, I think. um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like revival happening in the Latino world in terms of them coming to Jesus um, because he's the savior, right? Not Not a president that's current or later. No one can save, right? Truly save. So Hmm. I believe that he's going to redeem a lot. Like in persecution, we see... Um, in history in the Middle East right now, or like just all over the world, we see that God is actually doing another movement within that's bringing um, many, many people to him. And so sometimes it comes through pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have to believe, I I just know it. I just know um, it's happening. I hear so many stories. And so the supernatural Jesus comes forth when and we're experiencing like heaven. We need heaven to come in where we're experiencing hell. That feels really hopeful to me. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it does. It, and you're right. There's not a lot of places that feel hopeful in this conversation right now. So that perspective is good for me. It's good for me because I tend to be more the activist. Uh, I have a social policy background and community development. And it's easy for me to just um, raise raise my voice or use my words and forget that God is in control. God is the only one that can save. Our faith is what we should err on the side of always. I appreciate your leadership. I feel, I feel pastored right now by you. And I appreciate that so much. My pleasure. Thank you. So as we can see in culture, especially like movies and stuff, that women are becoming more the heroines and the protagonists and mm-hmm. they're more fighters and almost at a loss of their femininity too, Some in some ways, some stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but women are becoming more empowered, which is great. Um, 
they're more in commercials. If you've seen commercials recently, mm-hmm. uh, the little girls are are um, kind of highlighted more than little boys. So mm-hmm. it feels like there's a little bit of a shift in our society, which is fun. But how do we, the most important thing that we can do as women is to be biblically grounded. Um, it's that Psalm 1 truth, you know, of a tree that's, that's, that's soaking in God's word, that's meditating on it. That's how we actually become leaders. That's how we become these oaks of righteousness, these trees that create shade for our communities that, you know, produce fruits that says in Psalm 1, her, her leaves do not wither. She produces fruit in season. Her leaves never wither and she doesn't die. Like we want to be this Psalm 1 tree. Um, and so I think that scripture is, is makes all the difference. That's what he's saying is how you become a tree, a woman who's just like raw, wrong here, girl, power, lady boss, all these things that we're seeing on social media and in TV and movies that that's not a tree <laughs> that could be a, mm-hmm. a counterfeit to what's actually, he wants to establish amazing, beautiful trees of Lebanon, oaks of righteousness that can withstand storms with him that can write with the storm that the Latino people are, are experiencing right now. Who are the trees? Who are the women that are, that are strong, fierce and lovely in their convictions in the Bible um, and in the fruit that they're producing eternal fruit right now. So I think it's more about lady, lady boss with scripture, <laughs> right? Like can, does she know her word? Does she know her God? Um, that's well, it's boss. it's lady it's lady wisdom, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's who she is. Oh, uh, yes, I love it. I've goosebumps now. Thank you for <laughs> for concluding our time with that because that's so my heart and passion and just finding yeah finding righteous um, p- empowerment for women in the midst of a culture that really we're experiencing a pendulum swing. Um, for sure with switching more now to focusing on girls and women and all that you're describing. So yes, let's be trees. Um, Let's be lady wisdom. Lady wisdom. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Fierce and lovely women of God. Well, Natalia, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast and sharing with us um, so much of your wisdom. You are a wise woman as well. And I will point everyone to um, the book and how they can get it in the show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thanks for highlighting Hermanas. Um, We appreciate the support. And um, I know Latina listeners are excited to to hear um, their stories are being highlighted as well. Hmm. Yes. Amen. Friends, I'd like to close by encouraging all of us to consider that being a fierce and lovely woman is not merely empowered for the sake of empowering or captured by words and phrases like girl boss and hustle, but it is actually lady wisdom. Are we trees of righteousness planted by streams of living water bearing fruit in season? What an image. What an aspiration for each of us. Can I close with a prayer by this incredible woman who at least pastored me today? These words from Natalia in her book, Hermanas. Jesus, help me to identify and connect with the truth that I'm your Amada. I want dove eyes for you, my first love. 
Teach me to receive your perfect love and to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, I want to labor and lead in this world with a lovesick heart. Amen. Women, may you discover more of the one in whom you reflect this week. May you fall more in love with the one who elevates women, whose stories of women in the word are applicable to us today to find our own mentorship and our own role models and our own examples. And may I encourage you, if you are leading groups of women, consider picking up this book, Hermanas, particularly for my majority audience, who I believe is very much like me, a white, middle-class, middle-aged woman. Can I encourage all of us to read more from women whose lives have not paralleled our own, from women who look different than us, whose experiences differ from ours, because in them, I truly believe we see and learn more of the one in whom we serve, the one who made us all to reflect him. Sisters in Christ, go forth and be fierce and lovely women this week.